ladies and Boris Yeltsman, welcome. I'm Nikolai Munov. This is Nick's Nonfiction. Today on show, we have got Inside Putin's Russia. How do you get from Sweden to Russia? You cross the Finnish line. Let's go. While sailing, I had trouble navigating the water between Russia and Alaska. I couldn't get my bearings straight. <laughs> Today's book goes through Putin's rise to power. Good guy, bad guy, just another bureaucrat. Up for you to decide. A cool cat bureaucrat. KGB, FSB. My position is going to be how Russia, same as the United States. If we're talking game theory, spitting game, both superpowers, we have reached Nash equilibrium. At this point, it's not going to benefit anybody to nuke each other. It's whoever could extort their people better. You've probably heard of like the Steele dossier, the Twitter files. One of these ones that was actually good was the Durham report. Came out this year. The U.S. was spying on Russia, who was spying on the DNC. And so they knew the DNC was about to run the whole Russia collusion campaign. And Russia came to U.S. intelligence. They're like, we did not get involved in your election. We do not care about the orange men. And the CIA was like, we know. We've been watching you watching the DNC. But let the story go anyway. It's whatever benefits both sides. We're going to have some fun with this. Did you hear Netflix has ceased operation in Russia? Now they have Netflix. In Soviet Russia, there are no mines. There are only hours. Everyone thinks you should care about Russia and Ukraine. Crimea River. We'll be right back. About the author, Andrew Jack. Born December 4th, 1967, Andrew Jack is Moscow's bureau chief of the Financial Times. He has been based in Russia since 1998, covering the end of the Yeltsin era and rise to power of Vladimir Putin. He's got a ton of great interviews. Before that was the Financial Times Paris correspondent in the mid-1990s. Very little online about this guy. Literally one paragraph. What do Soviets drink? Leninade. Mark Sokola. We'll be right back. Alright, this is going to be a good one. Chapter 1, Inside Putin, Russia, Coming to Terms. Yevgenia Ivanova raised a glass of vodka every December 21st in memory of Joseph Stalin. She toasts the Soviet dictator who sentenced her to re-education camp from 1943 to 1953. <laughs> I get giddy when I get gulag talk on the show. Yevgenia Ivanova. Stalin sent her to the gulag for 10 years. She's raising a glass of vodka to him. The only crime of her family was her uncle who supposedly collaborated with the Germans. She'd been living in Sussman since 1993, a decaying eastern bloc city. Sussman. She was talking about the school singing Stalin, our great comrade, like we say, the Pledge of Allegiance. They're doing some Jojo Rabbit Heil Hitler every morning to Stalin. She says she has nothing against the Soviet system. She's just thankful to be alive and realized the madness of crowds. Translating on the spot here. You get the point. She lived under a hard regime. And this chick, she's not even that mad about it. 
I think Ivanova's got Stockholm Syndrome here. There's a word for it. Russian tradition. You're supposed to forget the hardship and only remember the positive times. <laughs> Just forget all that bad stuff. Let another 11 million Soviet men die in the snow. Victory Royale. <laughs> Mikhail Gorbachev removed fear of the old Soviet system. Boris Yeltsin carried out its destruction. They're providing a good fertile ground for Putin to come along. Stanislaw Kowalski. It's going to be another character today. Kowalski, status report. <laughs> what ethnicity were the penguins of Madagascar? So this guy, Stanislaw, was a Polish writer captured by Russian secret police in the 1940s. And they just kept moving him deeper east into Russia. He wound up in the Republic of Magadan. That was the capital of the Gulag Archipelagio. Jesus. When does that start here? Like, America's hands aren't cleaned during World War II. We have camps in Colorado for Japanese World War prisoners. The Republic of Magadan, where all the strongest gulags are. And there were accounts of hard labor regimens. Start at 5 a.m., work till 11 p.m. You get 300 grams of bread, a little bit of soup and seaweed. <laughs> He said they did 36-hour blind truck rides on the Road of Bones, a highway built on and by the bodies of prisoners. <laughs> the Highway of Bones. At this time in Poland, four out of a hundred people went missing. I'm thinking in the U.S. we have the million-dollar highway. In Russia, we have Highway of Bones. <laughs> Kowalski. He speculates the true number of Poles abducted are between 700,000 and the million. <laughs> Polish dudes just vanishing. What's the Polish national anthem? Every man for himself. So I'm saying, just to bring it to the U.S., we're getting towards the end of the year. We always try to bring a bigger picture. This is what the TikTok bill is about. If you have a VPN, you're a domestic terrorist. And if you're a domestic terrorist, you don't have constitutional rights. If you don't have constitutional rights, you could disappear and wind up in a gulag. If you give a dictator a cookie. <laughs> so the author finds it comical. Thousands of Russians visit Buchenwald annually when there's uh, many more prisoner of war camps within them. He was talking about this place, Perm 36. It was a site in Poland. It was destroyed in the 1960s. But everybody was getting thrown in there. Ukrainians, Russians, Germans. <laughs> Work camps, re-education. We will lock you up and you can think about that. Whoa. The Baltic Republic of Latvia. Home to a conjoined labor camp for Nazis and communism. What? Dude, even China has, like, Muslim concentration camps now. America's got the biggest prisoner population, non-violent. <laughs> December 21st, 1999, Putin calls the ceremonial toast. Instead of praising new democracy as Yeltsin had, he dedicated the drink to Comrade Stalin. He's going, fuck this new wave democracy. Yeah, we tore down the wall. This drink is for Stalin. 
<laughs> yeah, his speech was going, let's bring uh, the greatness of old Russia back. Andrew headed to the Red Square March 5th, 2003, the author. This was the 50th anniversary of Stalin's death. They did like a single file march through Lenin's mausoleum. They have a tennis match at the ceremony. This is a Russian elite's favorite sport. You got Novak Djokovic. Another one. Maria O Maria Sharapova. Andrew did a whole chapter on this bar in Chelyabinsk. A man made a Putin-themed bar of Vlad cocktails, Putin pretzels. I'm thinking in America there's got to be a Trump bar somewhere. <laughs> Golden Amber Ale, just like his hair. The same year, the Academy of Sciences reverted to a Soviet-era practice of requiring members to report any contact with foreigners. You are going to do science? You may not talk to other countries. No collaboration. Older citizens criticized the ceremony as a genuflection of Stalin's leadership. So insightful, playing chess in the park. Yeah, it's tyranny. One of Putin's first actions as prime minister was to deal with his competitor, Igor Sutagin. Didn't say that right. Like, totally unrelated, this guy was abducted from his house. <laughs> he was detained for violating the secret Ministry of Defense Decree 005. Has nothing to do with Vladimir and his KGB connections. Mid-90s, two naval officers were going back in time. These guys were real close to Putin. Alexander Nitkitin Grigory Pasko disappeared. <laughs> Just people around Putin. Sometimes I go missing. Gorbachev, he talked about a little bit. That's the guy who wanted to dismantle the KGB. And remember, like, Kennedy was saying, let's dismantle the deep state. And then, totally unrelated, his head blew up. <laughs> there was no gunman. His head just did that that day. So, damn, Gorbachev had some big ideas. And Putin's like, nah, old glory, secret societies, let's go hard. He did a speech in the meadow of the south edge of Moscow, a cottage where thousands of political defectors in the 20s were shot and buried. This was called the Green Dasha, and so Putin's going to dance on their grave. Fuck it, let's bring back the Iron Fist. Oh, man. So the Putin Palace, that's a lighter topic. He apparently has an amphitheater. His palace is like 18,000 acres. He, they say his fortune is 200 billion. But they have trillionaires in Russia. So it's definitely more than that. He's got an ice palace on his property. <laughs> Some propaganda films started to resurface. Volgada was a coal miner. And he said people ate better under the Soviet era. So people in St. Petersburg are going, it's all the same. I don't know, that's where my boy Dostoevsky was from. They do some hard winters there. That's where the biggest uh, suicide is in the world, St. Petersburg. So those people might read a couple books during that winter, and they're going, this is all bullshit. The coal miner saying they ate well under the Soviet times. Chapter 2. The Man from Nowhere. 
August 2nd, 1999, Putin makes his TV debut. Yeltsin gives him a big endorsement, gives a little speech in front of the camera. I know judo. I'll kick your ass. 1998, they announce, why are we going back in time? August is known by Russian bureaucrats as August of Angst. This is when big political changes are made while people are out doing their thing in the summer. Late 80s, early 90s, the prime minister would oppose a new head of government. So, like, who was that? Victor Chimurjin. The Putin timeline goes municipal advisor, St. Petersburg mayor, deputy governor, Kremlin advisor of regional affairs, head of SSB, KGB. He was there for 15 years. Secretary of President Security Council. And then Prime Minister. There's a four-term limit. He's been in there for 20. A bunch of uh, pussy riot, like political statements were coming up. They actually dumped tea into a harbor. And they start publicizing 9-11 on a loop in Russia. So they're going, hey, we don't want this to happen here. Let's get some nationalism going. It's the Arabs. (laughs) Yeltsin's millions in gambling debts anonymously paid off in 2001. <laughs> Putin's mom died in a heart at- of a heart attack that year. He's a big mama's boy. He's uh, going the hardest part to write off for Andrew was he visited his mom's grave daily for months. Oh, sad story. To appear stern, early 2000s character development Putin chose four masks. Student, sportsman, civil servant, and spy. So the early internet memes. Him teaching karate, him riding a horse shirtless, doing public endorsements, leaked photos of him in the KGB. There's a bunch of stories that came up. I found some dirt, like... Young ballerinas said they got to experience Putin's love at a young age. A bunch of Russian supermodels come out say they knew him when he was like 20. You don't know if he's paying for those stories or if he's the biggest badass ever. <laughs> His home city was near Smolny. That's where the communist uh, headquarter was in World War II. Some mountain town. He could see the prisoner islands to the north. Visited Leningrad as a kid. His dad was a secret police during World War II. I think he, like, got injured by a grenade. It was a saboteur behind German lines. So, apparently, like, some of his dad's assets got passed down to him. That's not in the book, though. People say he was a specialist in human relations from birth. That's what I'm saying. Even the author was hinting at (laughs) he was born into the society. Jackson, the author, interviewed people in St. Petersburg from his judo school. Putin adapted quick, was always sober, never afraid, instantly learned from his mistakes. Are there a lot of world leaders who are talented athletes? Joe Biden, he's a hurdle export. <laughs> expert. That dude stumbles around like a drunk girl at a fucking party. Joe Biden. Early KGB days, Putin created networks of informants, launched trials against human rights activists, clamped down on dissidents. I'm thinking this guy did some wet work, too. He looks like a killer. (laughs) He 
he was known for a really big anti-alcohol campaign in the 80s. He said the biggest decline in the Soviet era was 1985 to the end of the Entropov era. Too much Popov going around. He was stationed in East Germany, practiced uh, German as his dad probably taught him it with his grenade wound. While in East Berlin, he spent most time profiling world leaders. He would just go to speeches and then write reports for the government. He said he kept a low profile. And then he started delivering speeches, met some professors that come back in the story. <laughs> Putin's favorite book, Gogol's Dead Souls, a satire on Russian corruption. <laughs> 1990, he said he made the hardest decision of his life. He resigned from the KGB. And having seen one of his speeches in East Germany, an old professor convinced him he had to run for office himself. KGB keep him on the payroll. They say he can have active reserves, knowing if he succeeds, they're going to have someone in the government. You know, Bush ran the CIA. Mysteriously, at the same time, some pushed start happening in the federal government, also known as a coup. Like sometimes people just like disappear around Putin. Conveniently, when it's it's time to rise to power, <laughs> there's all these J sixes going on and all that. 1996, Sobchak, a councilman, also running against Putin. His house burned down. The only possession that was found was his mother's cross. <laughs> Do not cross of lead. Andrew said the key to his political success was visiting the St. Petersburg Mining Institute. So he got in good with the working class like we learned from uh, Hitler. He called it the working party. He pulled out assignments from college. His strategic planning for the renewal of raw materials. It's like giving them the old lecture material. Early 1999, his car hit a kid in Moscow. Some Bruce Jenner action. Holy crap! And he pardoned his driver. He went on Larry King's show in 2000. They called him out for it. <laughs> he apologized. Larry King said, I get the idea that he wants to kill terrorists more than save hostages. So America's always made Putin the big bad guy. I said a couple years ago, uh, Putin is the new Trump. Holy crap! Donald Trump! <laughs> Chapter 3, Prisoner of the Caucus. He's talking about Chechnya, this chapter, where that bar was. They've been at arms with Russia since World War II. This was one of Putin's big tests. If you could get Chechnya back, that's us again. Pretty sure this is Czechoslovakia, too. It's changed names 20 times. Yeltsin told his associates, take as much autonomy as you can swallow there. And he starts pinning them as like the scapegoat. Yo, this is where all of the drug problems come in our country. Uh, trafficking, oil theft, diamond smuggling, contraband, alcohol. 1994, civil war conveniently breaks out. Uh, 50,000 countrymen die. <laughs> A little bit of blood on his hands. Obama, he's got a record 5 million displaced people in the Middle East. Obama versus Putin, who you got? Obama! 
<laughs> that dude caused mayhem on Earth. As for Putin, Vladimir, he said the KGB and the secret police had man a man in every faction. <laughs> this should be some Patreon knowledge, but the FBI says if a group gets above 30 people, you gotta infiltrate it. So of course, the KGB, they were monitoring that civil war from the very beginning. Told you about the Floyd riots in L.A. No doubt spooks. So 2,000 large apartment buildings exploded in Chechnya after Putin marched there. Conveniently, 2,000 buildings exploded. <laughs> they don't do it from the sky like a big war campaign. This stuff just explodes. Kennedy's head. <laughs> Good quote from Andrew. Peace doesn't always entail freedom. Mm, they sacrificed security for freedom and wound up with neither. Two weeks into Russian occupation, Chechnya called on the human rights wa watch of the world. NATO, come help us. Boots on the ground, 80,000 men there. There's been military occupation since 2003. Wah, wah, wah. He says only 50 abuses of power cases were ever heard in court. <laughs> 2,000 buildings exploded. 50,000 dudes died. 50 court cases were done. What did we learn in the Hitler book? Only 23 men were tried at Nuremberg. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm kind of retarded. I'm retarded, but yeah, Holocaust forgiven. Chapter 4, Shooting the Messenger. Von Braun, come work for us. Rootin' tootin' Vladimir Putin. Doing some shooting. Ostankino was a hotbed for revolution. This is the Portland of Russia. <laughs> 2001, they pop off. Vlad marches several hundred men in there. With machine guns, bazookas. Uh, so this is like... Uh, there's a bunch of theories about it. That he sent men there to blow up a radio tower so that he could build the new media. But just taking it at face value. A uh, couple thousand men were arrested, sent to secret prisons. <laughs> no longer a gulag, secret prison. 2001 onward... Putin had men observing the 8th floor, which is the media department of the NTV. The intro to the NTV becomes Leon Trotsky, images of Sputnik, all that stuff. It's like old-style Soviet propaganda once again. None of this Gorbachev crap. Tear down this wall, put it back up. So that was a fucking lie. <laughs> Bro, we're just doing Cold War 2. It's so annoying. Well, we're going to circle the wagon for a thousand years. U.S. versus Russia. Yeltsin left 100 million in the budget for Putin to work with ORT, a competing news source. Gives him a hundred billion dollars. He's like, go call some mayhem over there. Pay some journalists. Do some James O'Keefe sneakery. They get... The New York Stock Exchange to value them at $1.2 billion. So NTV is beating ORT. He's going to media wars. NTV worker said, I went to see Gwinsky and came out sweating. I was always afraid they were listening to our conversations. 
I told you before, the eighth floor was being wiretapped. And like, Vladimir Putin is known for pardoning Edward Snowden. The information only comes out 20 years later. I think we use each other to disclose shit. But I'm nutsack. Andrew had a meeting with Eugene Shivler, an oligarch and media tycoon. Our Rupert Murdoch. He asked if he had stakes in NTV, and he disproportionately denied it. No, 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 what are you talking about? It comes out later that he's invested in both ORT and NTV. Same. You own all six stations, Rupert. What do they call it? Fascism is when the governments control the corporation. Oligarchy is when the corporations control the government. But keep fighting about communism, capitalism. It's both totalitarian. But whatever. George Soros can own Buttigieg, Kamala, BLM, and Target. (laughs) But that's not oligarchy. That ain't fascism. So, Vladimir Putin, you gotta give him credit. He got them off of the western teat of press. He's like, let's make our own news. RT, they do put out some dank stuff. But, of course, a lot of it, propaganda. The Moscow city government gave his network $200 million to revamp their image. So, Vladimir's just, you know, magically getting funding sent to him. Has nothing to do with doing 20-plus years in the KGB. Gawinski, the boss of NTV, he received a $40 million a year amp to production volume. Oil group Yukos, that's like their BP, and they also have uh, oil spills up in Siberia, cleaning off seals. They gave NTV $170 million of oil money. They didn't ask them to read one script or run one advertisement. $170 $170 million. Like oligarchy, you read deeper into it, it is a network of favors. You're part of our agenda, right? Okay, let's look out for each other. You didn't even do one advertisement, so what is advertising for? <laughs> you watch C-SPAN, and they're advertising for Boeing and Raytheon. Do a lot of the dudes sitting on their couch have $22 million for an F-16? Why are you advertising... <laughs> Programming man. Gowinski, the head of NTV, was caught laundering money. He's exiled to Spain. (laughs) So, you know, this is so Putin could just take over the head. You've done your part. Go take a cushy retirement in Spain. They admitted to Andrew, like this dirty author, journalist guy. He, James O'Keefe, a Luke Oil executive, put a camera in his handbag, (laughs) had sex with the fucking... Dmitry Savalev was a pipeline owner who was close with Gowinski and refused to step down. Any publications that talked about civil servant exorbitant appenditures had million-dollar lawsuit cases against them. So if any other smaller news publication talks about Gowinski and his friends, you're getting a fine. It's called a gag order in the U.S. Freedom of press! (laughs) Moving on to chapter 5, our final one, Autumn of the Oligarchs. Militaries in place, the media, the entertainment have been savoided. No angst this August. Summer of love? I think not. Let's do TikTok dances. 
Boris Blevolosky became the biggest voice for truth in the country. So this guy is trying to be a new Gorbachev. He's about to get sniped. Stop it, you're in Russia. (laughs) He quoted Putin off the books saying, I don't privatize companies, I privatize people. Yo, that's CIA shit, let's go. Putin fucking rules, but we got this little journalist rat, Boris. Let's get the bullet in his head and start the party. Another quote, I used business for political objectives. Oh, the dirt on Vladimir. Surely someone with a $200 billion palace can't be corrupt. 1999, Putin takes Berezovsky to France. <laughs> Don't get on the plane. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. What? Why are you getting on a plane with your enemy? <laughs> so Berezovsky goes back to Russia and he publishes Yeltsin's memoirs. Yeltsin and Berezov in the press now, they take on this new project where they consolidate Russian aluminum. And by 2005, they own 70% of the market. Whoa. It's like we own most of the helium. They got most of the aluminum. Ukraine's got a lot of the bread. Putin, he took that guy on a nice trip to France. He's a gentleman. Maybe some threats were done, but... He let him take on a new project. If you could get the aluminum, you're back on the team. Just like before, they let him take back Chechnya. You're back on the team, Putin. Redemption. BP invested a billion dollars in Russian pipelines throughout the mid-90s. Damn, BP. Playing both sides. Andrew, he talked about being taken to restaurants in 1999 by oil executives. They tried to buy his word, but he's such a good journalist. He talked about a Velvet Czarist restaurant. That's nothing compared to Economic Hitman. Remember he went to a six-star restaurant, The Ruby Room? It was some, like, Afghani you ate off of gold forks. Sibneft was the biggest tycoon that Andrew ever met. He was a multi-billionaire. Makes Bezos look like chump change. He had custom Boeing jets, luxury yachts, was an orphan who would act cutthroat in the business world. Sibneft sold most of his shares in Slavneft. It was a Chinese national petroleum corporation. At the time they had the Seven Sisters, were what they called the big banks in Russia. Some of their big financiers, J.P. Morgan in the U.S., 2003, Mikhail Kordovsky was the publicly richest man. He was charged $1 billion for tax fraud, pays it off. And the author went on this whole journalistic thing. He pays less money by paying the fines, because if you pay in taxes, that actually goes to public services. But if you don't pay the taxes and then you just pay the fine, then those people just put it back into your corporation. I don't know how it works, but he found the whole feedback loop. Think about it this way. Doing a comedy version. You ever play the board game Monopoly? You're playing with your friends, your siblings, your parents, the people closest to you in the world. And you cheat. 
You slide banknotes under the board. You trade properties behind your back in a board game of Monopoly. Let's extrapolate this to the world economy, where not only do you not know everybody, but you hate large swaths of people. <laughs> but all these motherfuckers play fair. Berezovsky, the original guy who dug up dirt on Putin, he calls the new model of Russia controlled democracy. Inside Putin's Russia by Andrew Jack. That's a good one. Ukraine, I'll say one thing. We sent them $100 billion in 2023. They say the figure that would solve homelessness in the U.S. is $30 billion. We could have solved homelessness three times over. But a country nobody gives a frick. Homelessness forever. Fuck it. A man under every bridge. Slava Ukraine. <laughs> I'm Nick Muniz. This has been the show. If you like the humor, get some more memes free every single night. Harry shit on Instagram. 18,000 followers going strong. Patreon.com slash niche. Thank you, the followers, for being here. Keeping on building the knowledge. Let's get a random soundboard effect to end it. He needs some milk. I'm going to drink some chocolate milk. <laughs> Love you. See ya. Peace.